Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here recording Lost in the Woods. So Madison's sitting here telling me that she doesn't really eat meat except for chicken nuggets. <laughs> yeah, sue me. <laughs> I have dino nuggets in my freezer right now. But that can't be the only protein that she takes. So I'm going to have her try my uh, Fruit de Loop protein, which tastes like Fruit Loop cereal. And I put a little vanilla collagen in it and shake it up and it tastes like a bowl of cereal. It's amazing. So we're going to try that today. See if we can't cram a little more protein into our skinny body. <laughs> hey, I try it, man. I actually, I do. You try with your dino chicken nuggets? <laughs> no, that's not how I try to get my protein in. I like that you have a problem with meat, but dino chicken nuggets are like on the table. Oh, there's no way there's a fully <laughs> real meat. Like, you can't convince me. She's like, they're not real meat. So it's not like I'm eating an animal. It's just chicken nuggets. Yeah, I also can't deal with raw meat. I literally can't. I don't like handling raw meat like when I have to cook. Like I won't. No. So having extra protein options is very helpful. All of my protein is from First Form, and I will put a link in our notes for today. If you use our link, it supports us as well. Today we are talking about the disappearance of Amy Rowe Betchel. Amy and Steve Betchel were living their ideal life in Lander, Wyoming which was the perfect destination for the active couple until July of 1997 when Amy would go for a run in Shoshone National Forest and vanish. Amy Betchel was born Amy Jo Rowe on August 4th of 1972. Her dad was a chain-smoking administrator, and Amy's mother was Joanne, and she taught physically disabled children while raising her own four children. And Amy was the baby of the family. She was described as thoughtful and hyper-focused, and also she loved running. When attending the University of Wyoming, she became the captain of the cross-country and track team. She still holds the UW record for the 3,000 meter at 9 minutes and 48 seconds. And she also holds second in the indoor 5,000 at 18.07. After college, she competed in the 1996 Boston Marathon, where she finished at 3 hours, 8 minutes, and 33 seconds, which was just 45 minutes behind the women's first place winner. And she dreamed of qualifying for the 2000 Olympics. Well, and it's said about Amy, too, that she wasn't the best runner when she was young, but she was so driven that she just improved more and more as she got older. Okay, so at the time of her disappearance, she was 24, and she'd been married to Steve Betchel for about a year and they were living in Lander, Wyoming, where she worked multiple part-time jobs. And her and Steve had met while Amy was in college and he was a rock climbing enthusiast. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Amy did rock climb from time to time, but not on the same level that Steve did. Okay. Yeah. Well, they married in 1996. So Lander was a great location for the pair as it had rugged terrain and was perfect for Steve's rock climbing and Amy's training. Yep. And they actually, Lander's like this small up and coming town that's really growing for outdoor enthusiasts. So like the couple actually lives on Lucky Lane amongst other climbers and young adults who are doing the same sort of things that they are. But... Steve and Amy are getting ready to move because they recently purchased their first home. Like, they signed the papers on Monday, and Amy goes missing later that week. That's us. Seriously. Okay, so both worked part-time at a local climbing shop called Wild Iris. Amy also worked part-time at the Sweetwater Grill, along with the Wind River Fitness Center. Right, where she taught, like, exercise classes. So it was a beautiful summer day in Lander on July 24, 1997. And Lander, Wyoming is about 100 miles east of Grand Teton National Park, which we've done a couple cases there. Amy and Steve were excited to have a rare day off from all of their part-time jobs, and both had busy days planned. Amy would be teaching a fitness class in the morning and then had a long list of chores that she planned on completing including getting some things done for the new house and planning that route for the 10K that she's working on. And this would be in Wyoming's Wind River Mountains. So Steve's day was a little more relaxed. And at 9.30, he left to go rock climbing with his friend Sam about 70 miles northwest in Dubois. Right. And you would think it was pronounced Dubai, but it's actually Dubois. 
in Wyoming. And he would take the couple's dog with him, leaving Amy without him that day. Right, because where he's going scouting in, like, this rock climbing area, there are bears and things like that. So he does take bear spray, and he takes the dog with him. By early afternoon, Sam and Steve finish up, and they both head home separately. So they had driven separately to meet up in this location. Steve arrives home around 4 p.m., and Amy isn't home yet, but he really isn't expecting her to be home since he knew that she had a very long list of things to do that day. Around 7 p.m., Todd and Amy Skinner, who are friends of the couple that live nearby, they stop by to see if they wanted to go to a movie. And Steve tells them that Amy isn't home yet and that he wants to wait for her. So they leave to go get pizza and go to a movie, and they go and see the 845 showing of the movie Con Air. Good movie, by the way. Todd would say Steve wasn't panicking by any means because... It was still light outside, and still, you know, she could have been out doing something. It was not an unordinary day for Amy. So even Todd, who's a friend of theirs, they're like, oh, yeah, she's probably just, you know, got busy running errands or going for a run or something. So Steve makes some phone calls to family, seeing if anyone's heard anything from Amy. And he calls her mom around 10 p.m., thinking that maybe she'd gone there to pick some furniture up or something for their new house or right because amy did originally have plans to go to her mom's that weekend but she had called her mom the night before and said hey i have a lot to do do you mind if i don't come down yeah so i i'm honestly thinking that he's just trying to think of anywhere she could possibly be and right that's but when his mom does ask should we be worried he says no because at this point he's not even sure if he should be worried At 10.30 p.m., Steve would call the police. And I want to play the 911 tape for you guys because, as we will get into in a little bit, there is a lot of controversy around this 911 call. Keep in mind that we have only a few seconds of the call. It probably was a 10-minute call, but we don't have that because Wyoming does not have the same public disclosure laws that other places do. So, the tape in its entirety is really hard to get a hold of. I was able to find one snippet of it from the disappeared episode that was done on this case. You should be better than that. I know, right? Okay, here it is. Hi, this is Steve Bechtel calling. I'm, uh, I'm missing a person. And I was wondering if you maybe had an extra. What the fuck did he just say? He said, hi, my name is Steve Betchel. Hey, I've got a missing person here, I think. And I wondered if you had a spare around any place. Um, did you kill your wife? Are you that much of an ass? Or are you nervous about calling 911 because you think you might be jumping the gun and you're making a stupid joke? So think about it. Think about any time you've had to dial 911. Like, one time I called 911 because there were these, like, really young kids playing up high on this retention wall, and they were throwing rocks off of it, like, towards vehicles. And when I called 911, which was kind of for a legitimate reason, like, one, these little kids who are probably, like, seven are in danger, and two, they're throwing rocks at cars, I still felt really stupid for calling 911. I was like, yeah, so I don't know if I actually have anything to report, but, like... There's some kids that are on a wall. You know, I don't see any parents around. You know, like, I kind of tried to make light of it because I felt uncomfortable. So that call, and we'll talk about this later, but that call becomes a big point of discussion. Okay, so I take it back. I don't think that he killed her. I don't think this means he killed her. I'm just wondering, like, that poor taste, maybe. I think it might, I think just poor taste. I yeah. jumped the gun on like you didn't because I always like to think but, that's worse than people. But, but remember, remember that reaction when we talk about it later because that becomes a big issue. Okay, yeah. Todd and Amy Skinner would get back from the movies around 11 and they would find that Amy still had not returned. And they would say that Steve was for sure in a full on panic by this point. And he's already called 911, so we kind of know that, right? Being concerned as well, Amy and Todd Skinner would go driving around looking for Amy's car so that Steve could stay home in case she showed up or called. Because remember, we don't have cell phones. 
Okay, it would be 1 a.m. when the Skinners would find Amy's white Toyota station wagon along Loop Road in Wind River Mountains near the Shoshone National Park. And this was about a half mile away from Fry Lake. Todd would say, we were relieved. It was like, oh man, we thought we'd found her. So I walked up completely expecting her to be in the car. But Amy was nowhere to be found. And there does not appear to be any sign of a struggle around the vehicle. And when they checked, her car is unlocked. They call Steve and him and another friend, Kurt Billings, head that way with flashlights, sleeping bags, and food. They're like already planning to be out there searching. They're like, in their mind right now, Amy injured herself while out running and they're going to go find her. Which is totally logical at this point. Yeah. Her keys and her $120 sunglasses were in the car, along with her to-do list, but her wallet appeared to be missing. I like that the price of her sunglasses. Well, I think the point of that is that they're expensive sunglasses sitting on her passenger seat. On her to-do list was contact the phone company, contact electric company, drop off the recyclables, get photo mounted or matted, flyers for race, get more boxes, mow lawn, call Ed, close road, question mark, have Karn do drawing, and run was written at the bottom. So she had a really long to-do list. And run is not checked off, but so are some other items on her list. Mm -hmm. On this list is information about her 10K. So like close road, question mark, the flyers, they also find notes of landmarks on the loop road. So she's made some notations at the bottom of her list about certain landmarks on this loop road leading up to where her car is found. Landmarks to follow as you run if she's planning this 10K. And that does become important. Put a pin in it. Think about it. Think about it. it we'll come back to it. It becomes important later. So police are also called and by 3 a.m. a search is launched. Initially, it seems probable that maybe Amy injured herself while running and was stranded somewhere. Great conclusion. Great, yeah, especially because she's planning this 10K, which might, which isn't necessarily going to be all on the road. Because along the road, there are shortcuts and trails and, like, different roads that you could take to run through the woods a little bit. Like, this isn't necessarily a road run. Now, if you're going to go missing, it is said the lander would be a good place to do this since there are experts in search and rescue in this terrain. Like they do a lot of training. They have a lot of teams. Now by day three, there are more than 100 volunteers out in the wooded area in a 30 mile radius surrounding Amy's car. They're using ATVs, dirt bikes, horses, helicopters, and dogs, but they find no sign of Amy anywhere. So basically they start with the road, right? Most probable then they fan out to the woods around the road. They still find no sign of Amy. They did find one footprint that was about the size of Amy's feet, but they are unable to confirm if it's actually hers or not as the print gets trampled before police could take photos and compare. Okay, so July 29th, five days in. We're already five days in? Mm-hmm. Nothing happens in five days. Correct. So police change courses. Five days because uh, we're not going to like a new race car course. Yeah, well, what if there's multiple courses that they were on? They're on one course, which is to find the missing runner. When I say they change course, I'm saying they go to thinking maybe something happened to her. Maybe she's not just lost out there. And by this point, they have already released her car. They have not done anything. There's been no crime scene established. There's been nothing done. To okay. protect anything if there was a crime. So that's where you made the mistake. They changed course. So they decided to change Amy's case from a missing person to a possible crime. Still a missing person. Right, but now they're saying she's kidnapped. she could have been taken or murdered. Yeah, Of course. So Dave King was put in charge of the investigation. And he's actually been out of town until now. Yep. Also, he had recently been promoted from jailer to detective. Yep. So he's pretty new in his detective role at the time of this case. So after about a week, 
The area around where Amy's car was found was finally declared a crime scene. Yep. But by now, all evidence is gone. Yeah, because her keys and what else was on her front seat? Keys, sunglasses? No. Yeah. Anything else? That was it? That's pretty much it. Yeah. Where's her wallet? Her wallet's missing. Her purse? She didn't have one. A bag of any sort? No sort? bag is found. And she was not known to carry her wallet when she ran. But should she leave the car keys in the car? The car keys are in the car. Yeah, she that was a normal thing for her. Normally, she would also leave her wallet in the car. like. So hidden. she would leave both of those in the car? Yes, that was common for her, yeah. But also, the car has potentially been sitting in this spot on the side of the road for Gross. hours and hours before anybody yeah, finds so. it. So she could have left her wallet in the car, but we're going to talk about that later. Well, I'm just trying to see what the perspective of, like, changing the entirety of the investigation towards well she's been kidnapped versus just she's still lost in the woods you know what i mean so the only thing that really changes is now they start looking at suspects they start looking at things as a crime scene they process the car they do things differently than if she's just lost in the woods yeah that shouldn't have been off the table in the beginning correct yeah some would believe that the position of the car is strange. It wasn't in an a easy turnout nearby? Yes. So where her car is, right next to her car is a really easy turnout where you could have parked your car. But her car's not parked there. Instead, it's like wedged next to a tree in a much smaller space that people thought seemed unnatural, an unnatural place for her to park. But by now, the car has been removed. No pictures were taken. And we only have the word of the people who were on the scene initially who thought it was a strange place to park. And it would not be until now when they decide that this is a possible crime scene that they start to dig into Amy's day and start interviewing people, including potential witnesses. But with the potential witnesses, it's been five days. So you've lost all of them. It's been more than five days at this point, I'm sure. It's probably been like eight. Uh, their credibility probably isn't even no because memory good. doesn't yeah. work that mm-hmm. long and but, also people are gone people aren't going to realize that they were in that place yeah. at the same time but initially they are very sure i believe that that they are going to find amy just out there injured not that she something could have happened to her when looking at amy's movements they find the last known sighting of her running errands is around 1.30 p.m. when Amy stops at a local camera shop called Gallery 331. She is looking to frame a picture that she is planning to submit to a photo competition. She picks out a mat and a frame and is only there for about five minutes. And the owner of the store, Greg Wagner, said that she had been looking at her watch like she was in a hurry. She does have a lot of things to do. He said that she was dressed for a run. Not like she had been running, but like she was going to go for a run. She was wearing a yellow or gold tank top, blue or black shorts, Adidas trail response sneakers, a Timex Ironman triathlon watch, and she had a small double wedding band. Also, Amy at this time is about 5'6 and 110 pounds. So is this yellow or gold, black or blue coming from the witness or coming from her husband? I think it's a combination. So like he knew what her shoes were. He knew she had her watch, but I don't think he knew exactly what she was wearing. The description I saw the most referenced a yellow tank top and black shorts, but the witness said yellow or gold or black or blue. Police could find no verified sighting of Amy after this stop, and they believe that she had gone from there to Shoshone National Forest where her car was found. And this would have put her there where her car is found around two-ish. And then we have some eyewitness reports. A witness would come forward saying that she was hiking in the area where Amy went missing when she'd seen a blue pickup truck with a man and a blonde woman driving at a high rate of speed down the mountain road. The truck matched the description of Steve Betchell's truck, but she was unable to conclusively identify the truck as Steve's. Yeah, assuming they did like a photo lineup or something and she couldn't say for sure if it was Steve's truck, but it does match the type of truck. But we're also in Wyoming. 
Yeah. Where everybody has trucks. Does everyone have trucks in Wyoming? Yes, there's a lot of trucks in Wyoming. A man named Earl Osborne also comes forward, and he said that he was on his way up the loop road to replace a carburetor on an old fire truck that was sitting idle at a nearby youth camp. He said that he saw the runner and yelled out the window, boy, if it were me, I'd be running down the mountain because she had been heading up at the time. And he said that she like waved at him. He changed the carburetor quickly as he thought a storm might be coming in and he finished just as the rain started. And as he drove back down the road, he thought if he saw the runner again, he would offer her a ride because the rain was pretty extreme. But he did not encounter her again. He did say that on the road, he did have to inch around an old blue or green vehicle that he thought might have been a van parked on the side of the road. And then we have Jim and Wendy Gibson, who own the Landers Proghorn Lodge. They said that they were traveling on Loop Road late in the afternoon on July 24th when they saw a slender blonde woman wearing dark shorts Wendy recalls saying, that's unusual, someone's running away up here, and Jim made a joke saying, she looks like she's running away from something. They also recalled seeing a dirty white vehicle on their way down, also a gray truck with uh, like a half load of logs, and a man standing by shirtless holding a plastic container. A surveyor also reported seeing a pretty blonde woman in shorts running on the same road. So I think with this many eyewitness reports, it's fair to say that Amy was most likely at some point running on this Mm -hmm. road near where her car was found. So gunfire was also reported at Lewis Lake, which is about eight miles from where Amy's car was found, which I don't know if that's not that unusual either. I feel like gunfire doesn't sound like something that that's crazy in like the type of area that they're in. So right now, as the search continued without any luck in locating Amy, Todd Skinner, who's that friend of Steve, Mm -hmm. turned his garage on Lucky Lane into search headquarters, where they stuffed envelopes with canary yellow flyers that would be sent to bars, pawn shops, convenience stores, truck stops, motels, bus lines, adopt a highway sponsors, and film processors, which is all a very good idea. So if you think about it, sending it to places who process film, who might process film that has pictures of Amy on Mm -hmm. it, right? Adopt a highway sponsors who send people out to clean up highways, right? I mean, just like people who might come in contact with Amy or something belonging to Amy. Steve would say, this sounds strange, but we hope that she's been abducted. With that option, there are unlimited scenarios One is that she was grabbed, raped, and killed. He clears his throat and says, We think that is unlikely, though. We think she is still alive, being kept alive, and has left the area. Maybe she has amnesia. That is why we're making this a nationwide search. And as you can guess, Steve is pretty quickly identified as a person of interest in Amy's disappearance. So on August 1... They block off both ends of the loop road and set up checkpoints to interview people traveling along that road. Something they probably should have done right away. Yikes. Also on August 1, they bring Stephen for an interview and tell him that they have evidence that he killed his wife and they want him to take a polygraph right now to prove that he didn't. And he does initially agree to this, but at this point, Steve has cooperated with four police interviews and after being accused with the statement of evidence, Steve gets a lawyer who advises him not to get a polygraph and to stop talking with police without an attorney present. It's pointless. Well, it's just so unreliable and if you fail that polygraph, police are just going to focus more in on you even if you didn't do anything. Sheriff, I think I could pass. I think I could lie on a polygraph. I really want to know if I can. Does anyone have a polygraph? I want to try it. (laughs) Sheriff David King said, statistically, he did it. The first person we have to eliminate in a case where there may be foul play involved in one's disappearance is the person closest to that person, which I sort of agree with, but you can't say 
I don't like his wording. Statistically, he did it. He did it. Statistically, yeah. he did it. Well, and statistically, I think only one in three women are killed by their spouse. So maybe not statistically, he did it. But hey, Amy's family prints missing posters and yellow ribbons are hung all over the town of Lander. By the eighth day of searching, search and rescue starts to pull off of the mountain. Ugh. Now, when Steve's phone records are checked, they would prove that he had been at home at the time that the witness claimed to have seen his truck near the scene or a truck that looked like his truck. Because remember, they couldn't positively identify it as his truck, Mm -hmm. which was around 4.30. And Steve was on a phone call at his home phone starting at 4. So he couldn't have made it there in time, but this does not convince police that he is not involved. And they think that he may have still been involved earlier that day. But either way, the truck sighting is now not, is no longer evidence, right? Mm -hmm. At least that it's Steve. But remember, he had been rock climbing that day with his friend Sam, 70 miles away from Lander. But police are unable to prove he was there other than the word of his friend. Of course, because they're out in the, like, climbing rocks. They're not around people. Mm -hmm. And they're not, like, at an official rock climbing area. Like, they are scouting a rock area for climbing. Like, they don't actually do, like, a lot of official climbing that day. They're, like, scouting an area. So there's nobody around. They do find a gas purchase from Sam in the area that they had been out rock climbing, but they don't find anything for Steve. Because, remember, the two had driven separate. So Steve does not stop for gas while he's there. Proving nothing. But Sam does say that they left the area at the same time, meaning that Steve would have a very tight window to drive the 70 miles to be at his house by 4 o'clock to make that phone call. They believe that Steve has a couple hours unaccounted for, though. So I was looking at Steve's timeline. I couldn't find the exact time that Steve and Sam supposedly left for rock climbing. The only thing I could find is that it said early afternoon. To me, that suggests 1 or 2 p.m. Wouldn't you think? What would you say is early afternoon? I would say that early afternoon is like 1. So if he leaves at 1 or 2, this would put him at his home anywhere from 2.15 to 3.15. Because we have a 70-mile drive. An hour and 10 minutes is what Google Maps says it takes. This is just an estimation, right? Wait, wait. What? Wait. I'm confused. That's the time from Du Bois, where they were rock climbing, to Lander. Not from where they were rock climbing to his house, because I don't have that. He gets back. He would get back anywhere from 2.15 to 3.15. And this is just an estimate. It could be less. It could be more. And that's if we assume that early afternoon is 1 or 2. To get to the Fry Lake area near where Amy's car was found, it would have taken him two hours and 15 minutes. And I would guess more than two hours and 15 minutes for sure. Possibly. Because he would have to drive past Lander, through Lander, and then further to -hmm. get to where Amy is. It's not like on the way. Yeah. So two hours and 50 minutes from 1 o'clock, right, would be almost 4 o'clock where he would get to Amy So not really enough time to be back at home for that four o'clock phone call, theoretically. Could he have driven there really fast, sped the whole way, run her over, threw her in the trunk, run home, made a phone call, and then did something with her later? Sure. But I'm saying this is a much tighter window than the police make it sound, at least in my opinion. So that's police's theory, that maybe he did it earlier since he is at home by 4 o'clock. I don't know. They also believe, could Sam have been lying for him and Steve wasn't even there, which I don't know why Sam would do that. He was friends with Amy as well. Now, Steve and his friends and the climbing community continue to search and gather money for a $10,000 reward leading to information about Amy's whereabouts. But still, nothing comes from this. So despite pleas from Amy's friends and family, Steve would continue to refuse a polygraph test. 
maybe do some research in a polygraph test and then... Yeah, I mean, I get the concept, right? Like, why wouldn't you do it if you're innocent? But we know that this gets people into trouble. So Amy's brother, Neil, would tell police that he believed that Steve was abusive to Amy and referenced a time recently that the pair had been over for dinner and he had noticed some bruises, which Amy laughed off saying that Steve got a little rough sometimes. Which it sounded like these might have been on her arm or somewhere, but it almost sounds like she's joking around like, oh, he gets a little rough sometimes. Like, not that he's beating her maybe, but like gets a little rough in other areas maybe. I don't know. Um, That sounds like she's saying that he gets rough in the bedroom. That's what I would have thought too. I think that looking back, because Amy's family never had a problem with Steve prior to Amy's disappearance, but... I think now she's missing. They don't have answers. They start to fixate on Steve a little bit, which I think is probably natural, especially if there is a wedge forming between the family because he won't take this polygraph test. Yeah. So more time that went by, the more her family started to have more concerns about Steve's controlling nature and said that, as more time went by, she, as an Amy, had become more compliant in their relationship. Yeah, and I don't know. That could just be, like, a normal part of getting married. Like, kind of calming down. Like, being more flexible. Like, compromising. Things like that. Or it could be he's abusive and she's falling in line or yeah. whatever. So, two months after Amy's disappearance, King would relinquish the case to Detective Sergeant Roger Rizzer. King couldn't handle it. He couldn't do it. No, he actually turns his focus to campaigning for the Fremont County Sheriff. And he would be elected in 1998. Jump off a bridge. And some believe that he would use this case, Amy's disappearance, to elevate his campaign. I would agree that that sounds accurate. On August 5, Steve is visited by the FBI, who are involved in the case at this point. And they make it pretty clear that they believe he is responsible for murdering his wife. On August 6, police obtain a warrant for the Betchel home. August. This is quite a ways after she goes missing, that they're finally getting a search warrant. And also for Steve's truck. When searching the home, police would find Steve's personal journals, which, according to police, detailed violence against women and also had poetry, song lyrics, and other writing. One report said that there was a poem about contemplating murder and how a person would successfully hide a body. Steve would insist that none of these writings had anything to do with Amy's disappearance and that he had nothing to do with it. He would say that the journals were pure fiction and would tell media those writings are songs that my band did in high school. There are stories that I wrote and submitted as short stories to magazines. It's sort of trashy, but a way to get rid of my feelings. You know, if I can write them down, they are gone. On September 28, the 10K that Amy had been planning to run is renamed the Amy Betchell Hill Climb, and the money earned will go towards supporting the search for Amy. The run is a 10K from Bruce's Bridge to Fry Lake, and more than 150 people turn out to run, including Steve and Amy's mom and sister. Steve would address the crowd saying, Amy has wanted to do this race for a couple years. She was always told that the only people who would show up would be eight of her former track teammates. We are all in this together and we know that Amy is alive. And everyone would cheer to this. One last thing, he would say, please wait for me at the finish line. Now, there is obvious tension between Steve and Amy's family, but... They all are able to, like, do this run without any issues. The reward is also increased to $25,000 at this time, which does increase tips coming in. Not all of them are going to be legitimate. There was a rumor about a hit-and-run by some intoxicated youth from the reservation nearby. The rumor was that they had put her in the trunk after accidentally running her down. But when police tracked down the car... And after processing it, they find nothing linking Amy to the vehicle because obviously there would probably be blood in the vehicle. 
The FBI even goes as far as to request footage from the Russian satellite Mir that had been taking pictures of the loop road around the time that Amy disappeared. That's such a good idea. Steve, of course, remains on police radar as they believe he is the only viable person of interest in the case. Sheriff Roger Rizzer would say that he believes Amy is dead, but says, I believe it was a homicide, and I believe that it happened on the day she disappeared. In my mind, there is only one person that I want to talk to, only one person who has refused to talk to law enforcement, and that's her husband. If a man's wife disappears mysteriously, you don't clam up. You don't refuse to cooperate with the cops. And I totally disagree with that because I feel like he cooperated with police until they started lying to him about having evidence and telling him that they knew he was guilty. So I don't know about that, buddy. Amy's mother would say, we still don't know anything about where she is and what's become of her. We have concerns that after all these years, Amy's husband has still not agreed to work with law enforcement and answer questions. We are still waiting for Steve to come forward so that he can be cleared. It's the only way he can clear himself from being a person of interest. And it would be January of 1998 when they would finally get images from NASA, but they are useless due to cloud coverage on that day. On February 3rd, 1998, King... The original detective on the case, I've already shit-talked him like twice, Mm -hmm. and some of Amy's family go to the Geraldo Rivera show. So close. Geraldo Rivera show. Where Geraldo challenged Steve to cooperate with police. Who the fuck is this guy? It's like a talk show. Yeah. It's an old talk show. They went on a talk show? Yeah. Wait. Okay. That's a whole different thing. I don't know who Gennardo fucking Riviera. Geraldo Rivera. Geraldo. Yeah, this was a very popular talk show back in the 90s. Needless to say, Steve does not cooperate with or does not come forward and take a polygraph. Okay, so I'm sorry. I can understand why the family would be upset. Like, I can really understand why they would be, like, especially back then. Yeah. Four polygraph tests before everyone knew they I were fucking I would just go give bullshit. him my own polygraph test. But here's the <laughs> thing is that they, how could they not see it from his perspective? Right. From his perspective and from his lawyer's perspective. Well, you have to remember the police are also insinuating heavily that Steve is their only suspect. Yeah. Which isn't helping. Mm-mm. After the show, a witness living in Florida does come forward sure that she has seen Amy. And police actually fly to Florida, and it's actually a homeless woman from Washington that kind of looks like Amy. Okay. At least she looks like Amy. It's not Amy, yeah. Oh, and this may not be relevant to the case, but because we've already shit-talked him, we're going to talk about it anyway. On November 3 of 2000, King would resign from his position amid allegations of impropriety and he would be convicted of stealing cocaine from the storage locker. So, in January of 2001, Amy's dad would pass away never knowing what happened to his daughter. I fucking hate that so much. He probably knows what's going on on the other side. Remember in the beginning I told you that I kept going back to the Maura Murray case and the Suzanne Morphew case, right? Both of these cases involve people, detectives, police, latching onto a theory and not being able to let it go, right? It's like the fact that we've latched onto the arrangement of the keyboard and cannot change it. True. And not only that, but like a lot of people have latched onto their own theories in both of these cases. So Maura Murray, we covered that in like a multi-part episode on our Patreon. (laughs) Fuck, I don't remember. Maura Murray's name sounds really familiar, but... So it's the New Hampshire case of the girl who leaves college for whatever reason, doesn't show up for her her classes, but submits her homework, her car crashes, right? It crashes. Multiple people see her, a bus driver included. Was it in the snow? Yes. And then she vanishes. So a lot of people believe that foul play is involved, including theories about her dad being involved in the case. Either way, vanished without a trace. Mm Mm-hmm. Same sort of case, like 
Nobody knows what happened. Nobody knows where she is. But there are witnesses that saw her right before she went missing. So kind of a similar case. Now, Susanna Morphew, I don't know if you remember this case, but we covered it. It was the murdered on Mother's Day case where it's Mother's Day. She goes for a bike ride and disappears, but her bike is found. And at the time that we covered the case, it was still unsolved. But since then, her husband has been arrested for her murder. I thought her husband did it. The we whole did time. think her husband did it. I yeah. thought her husband totally so did it. So that's another one. We have a bike rider, same sort of thing, very, very mm-hmm. athletic versus a runner, same sort of thing. So in the Moore Murray case, it was pretty sure our conclusion was a stranger took her. Well, we thought the most likely was either she wandered into the woods to avoid the police because she had been drinking and driving, or we believe she had been drinking and driving. Remember there was wine spilled in the car and there was a bottle under the car that had wine in it as well. Or two, she was abducted by a murder of opportunity. Yeah. But remember, we also think she was driving out to meet up with somebody. So there's a lot more theories in that case. Yeah. For sure, a lot more theories in that case. There is one more piece of evidence that I wanted to talk about in the Amy Betchell case, and that is the pen. So I was recently listening to an interview with somebody from Search and Rescue, and this interview was on the Frozen Truth podcast. They covered this case, too. And it almost sounded like an accident, but he was describing how Search and Rescue search along close enough to each other where they could see a pen in between each other. So in a more dense area, you would have to be closer to see that pen. In a more open area, you could be further away in order for you both to be able to see that pen. And as he's talking about it, he says, I mean, we were literally looking for a pen, a green pen. And the host of the podcast says, wait a second, what about a pen? I don't remember hearing anything about a pen and he kind of like waffles around for a second and then he said that they were looking for a pen that was very distinctive and when they found this pen Steve said that it didn't belong to Amy that it was the wrong color but it was the exact type of pen that Amy had been using so they were looking for a green pen and this pen was blue but it is found about one to two miles north of where her car is found, and it's right off of the side of the road. Maybe, like, somebody threw it. And it's about a $6 pen, so it is an expensive pen. And not only that, but the pen from her car is missing. So kind of weird, kind of something that I did not see anywhere in any of my research until... This search and rescue person brought it up during his interview with the podcast. So I feel like if she's someone who owns a $6 pen, she probably has a multitude of pens. Right. Well, not only that, but her pen is missing. And because Steve is like, no, her pen wasn't blue. It was green. Why would she have a pen? Because she had her to-do list in the car. But she was making notes as she was driving along this road. But the pen is gone. And the pad is still in there? Yeah. The paper's in there, but the pen is gone. But he says it's not the right color, but I tend to think it probably is her pen. Was it tested against the stuff or does Steve just say it was the wrong color? I don't think it, they, they bagged it and sent it in, but her fingerprints were not found on it. Okay, but they should have tested it against the Agreed. pen that was I'm not drawn sure. on the fucking piece of paper. That I'm not sure that that ever on? happened. And when this podcaster was talking to somebody else related to the case, they had not heard about the pen. What color? Was she writing with? Well, the pen is just like either blue or black ink, but the outside of the pen is green. So okay, it's not then the that's, color of then the that's ink. a whole different story. That's a whole different story. If it if it's just singular, the outside of the pen and her pen was green. That's a different story than the ink being blue versus green. I find it hard to believe that this wouldn't be her pen. We're missing a pen in the car. Here's a pen that's the same kind of pen. I think it's more likely that Steve was confused about what color the pen was than this pen belonging to somebody else randomly, and her pen is also missing. They also found a random tennis shoe, but it couldn't be linked to Amy. Like, it didn't match the type of shoes that she was wearing. But it is weird that they found a random tennis shoe. 
But while searching, they did find over like 700 pieces of evidence, like garbage and things in their search area. So, so either way, if the blue pen does not belong to her, then where is her green pen? Because we know she was making notes as she was driving along this road. There are landmarks noted down that line up with her route that she drove to get there. So where's her pen? Somebody steal her wallet and her pen? Maybe. I don't know. It's a weird thing to steal and leave the $120 sunglasses. But Okay, theories in this case. We have the hit and run theory which I find kind of hard to believe because if you ran somebody over, why would you take the body with you if nobody saw you do it? Why wouldn't you just take off? Hit and run? Yeah. How likely do you think that is? Well, it's not a hit and run. Okay. There, I, well, there's no way it could be a hit and run. I mean, it could be, but I doubt it. Well, it's not a hit and run if you take the body with you. Well, no, it still is. You hit and you ran. You didn't stay there for the police to get there. It's still Even if you take the body with you, it's still a hit and run. What else would it be? Hit and body stealing? That's not a thing. A uh, fatal animal attack. No. No. Uh, I don't know. This isn't like a child going missing where they could drag a body away, right? Like, I feel like there would be some sort of evidence if she was attacked by an animal. Also, yeah. there hasn't been any real cases in this area. There's been a couple bear incidents. Not nearby, though. Um, but there are mountain lions and bears in this area. Uh, taking off to start a new life, I think is very unlikely in Amy's case. Uh, she's really close to her family. She had exciting things going on in her life. She was making plans. She was recently married. She had just bought a house and she has no history of mental issues that might have led to her having a psychotic break and like taking off or not remembering who she is. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, no one in Amy's family thinks that this could be a possibility. Um, then we have crime of opportunity, which to me does seem plausible, right? Amy's running along the road. Somebody happens to come along. We know it's a very small percentage possibility. We talked about that in the Maura Murray case, but it's still plausible that somebody could have seen her and taken the opportunity to take her. Yeah. hundred percent. The other theory we have is the husband. What are your thoughts on the husband being involved in this case? I still think it's plausible, but I do think that the police, like, focused in on it so much that they ignored other possibilities. Yeah, and I also, um, he just, looking at photos of him. With her? With her and looking at photos of him, like. By the way, he still lives in Lander to this day. He's remarried. He owns a gym. He's got a couple kids. Like, he did not run away and hide. Like, he has the support of a lot of the community. But then he also has people that think he's guilty. Look at him sitting on that car. Look at his little outfit. I know. He did say at one point that he wishes he hadn't taken the dog with him that day. Because if Amy would have had the dog, it could have made a difference. Ugh. Yeah, I I mean, you know, obviously anyone can murder anyone despite what you look like, despite... Oh, 100%. We know any, that. Yeah, we know that. Any of that stuff. One thing that some people believe police ignored because they were hyper-focused on Steve, and that is a possible suspect in this case. And that person is Dale Wayne Eaton. Who they never considered. Or the Great Basin Killer. Now, in 2003, DNA would connect Eaton to a 1988 murder. 1988. So that's not far from the time of Amy's disappearance. Okay? Mm -hmm. So on March 25 of 1988, Lisa Marie Kimmel would be driving from Denver to Billings, Montana, to visit her boyfriend, but she would never make it there. And her body would be found by two fishermen eight days later in the North Platte River near Casper. She had been bludgeoned and stabbed six times. Lisa's family would later find a note on her grave saying, String fellow hawk. But no one seemed to know what it meant or who had left it. In July of 2002, DNA collected from Lisa would be matched to Eaton. 
And also the handwriting from the note on her grave would also be linked to him. And it is believed that he kidnapped her from a rest stop along the way in Waltman, which is about an hour and a half from Lander. So then he killed her. So we know that he is committing crimes in the area that Amy went missing. But wait. After searching his home, police find numerous clothing, purses, and personal items belonging to other women. Items that they cannot identify. Along with that, they also find newspaper articles about missing and murdered women. Red flag. Lisa's car is also found buried on his property. Still bearing her custom license plate that said Little Miss. He would have refused to talk to police and was sentenced to life in prison for the murder of Lisa Kimmel. Now, before he is caught, before DNA connects him to that crime, one month after Amy's disappearance, one month, he would try to kidnap an entire family who was having car troubles along Interstate 80. This would be Shannon and Scott Breeder. They were traveling with their five-month-old baby Cody at the time, and Eaton had stopped to offer help. He would have Shannon drive his green 85 Dodge van, and after pulling a gun on the family, he would command her to drive south into the desert. But she would not do this, and instead she would hit the gas and turn in a circle, allowing her husband to jump out of the car, which would lead to a battle between the two, and Eaton would end up getting stabbed with his own knife before jumping in the van and speeding away. Okay? Eaton would spend 99 days in jail and get two years of probation. Just kill them. But, kill them. But due to state law, his DNA would be taken at this time when he is convicted and would lead to the future match for the murder of Lisa. Good job. You saved his DNA so that you could test him when he killed someone else after you let him out of prison. Well, and they only took his DNA because it was state law at the time, too. So, yeah, like, what the... F good fucking job. This attempted kidnapping was less than three hours from Lander. So Amy goes missing. Then this couple tries to get abducted. And then Lisa gets murdered. So, yeah, he probably got her. Now, Eaton's brother, Richard had actually called police saying that he suspected his brother and knew that he had been camping at the Burnt Gulch area at the time that Amy disappeared. But police at the time had dismissed his suspicions. Oh my God, so this guy totally did it. This guy totally fucking did it. And I don't know if this is because they were focused on Steve yes. or because they didn't believe him because Eaton's niece would actually say that he was visiting her in Greenlee, Colorado at the time of Amy's disappearance. But... It is unclear if police were able to prove either way where he was. But he refused to cooperate with police when he's looked at way later for the murder. So the note of the, the brother calling in is in the original report, but nobody follows up on it, it sounds like. His property is also two hours from Lander. And he has camped in the area multiple times with his family. And his brother could even describe a beaver dam and other landmarks in the area. Because when he called police, police were like, well, nobody camps in the Gulch area. Like, that's not where, like, people camp at Fry Lake or they camp at other places, but not the Gulch area. And he's like, no, we used to camp there because we used to go hunting there. Like, and he could describe landmarks uh -huh. in that area. They're like, well, you can't even drive down to where you're talking about. And he's like, well, you used to be able to. So I can tell you right now, my brother would go there and he would hike down to where we used to camp. Yeah. When asked about Eaton, Joanne, Amy's mother, said, Though I am constantly aware that he may be responsible for Amy's disappearance, it is very difficult to allow my mind to dwell on this, knowing what he has done to his victims. Knowing what has happened to Amy or who's responsible is constantly in my thoughts, which makes me very frustrated and angry. And it has taken me a long time to learn to live with this, and there are days when it overwhelms me. No kidding. Can you imagine? Now, after Amy's disappearance, Steve does move to Utah, and he has Amy declared dead in 2004, seven years after Amy's disappearance. And he would eventually remarry and move back to Lander. So like I said, he currently lives in Lander, owns a business there, has a family there. 
The reward for Amy is up to $100,000, and her family makes the difficult decision to turn that money into four athletic scholarships at the University of Wyoming. Ugh, God, that just makes me so sad. In 2011, Detective John Zigger takes a fresh look at the case, and he notices that detectives zeroed in on Steve very quickly, and he actually gets Steve to come in for an interview, which he cooperates with, but they get no new information from this interview because Steve doesn't have any new information, and he's already cooperated before the whole polygraph thing. I read an article in the Outside magazine from 1998 by Brian D. Salvatore and Deirdre McNamara, it said, a missing person is not fully alive or fully dead. She does not age. She exists in the shadow land that we, the waiting, invest with both our fantasies and our nightmares. Which I feel like just sums up how Amy's family probably feels about this. Todd, too, the friend of Steve's that's super involved in the investigation, he actually dies in 2006 in a tragic fall while free climbing. In Yosemite. Free climbing. Man, I really love those movies, but it's so dangerous. The Free Solo. Have you seen that one? Yeah, I have. Oh seen my that god, one. I love We've that actually, one. We literally talked about this I know, like we did. a couple weeks ago. We did. Yeah. Ugh, I love it. Anyway, I would love to know what you guys think of this case because it seems that everybody has a very strong opinion. Like either the husband did it, or she's lost out there, or a serial killer did it or a random act of violence so place your vote let us know what you think it's a crazy case there's also tons of other people who have like written articles about this case like there's a people magazine one there's an outside magazine one that are both really well done go and check those out i have links to everything in our notes for this case and yeah let us know what you guys think we're going to click over to Bunker Talk, so we will talk to you guys soon. Bye. I don't have any answers for you. Guess who's a regular at my coffee stand? Who? Jubal. From Brook and Jubal in the morning. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's actually really funny. Isn't that funny? He came through and one of the lady, one of the coworkers was like, you getting your regular Jubal? And I look over and I was like, yeah, that's, that's him. That's so funny. Yep. Hello, oh, hello. I have breaking news. What's your breaking news? So I saw a TikTok, of course. Um, Maddie was on TikTok. I, sh- I knew my mom news. was already going to say it. Maddie so that's was why on I TikTok. <laughs> What, whenever you told me what it was, I'd be like, did you hear that on TikTok? Yeah, no, literally. So I knew you were already going to say that. But people have been talking about that their Amazon subscribes them to different, like, channels. Like, different subscriptions. Different, like, show trans- subscriptions and shit. Okay. Um, and a bunch of people have found this out. Like, just their different shit that they're subscribed to. Um, and Amazon says that sometimes they just subscribe their users to these things for free trials and then when the free trial runs out they just charge their card amazon i don't think you can do that mom they fucking can because they've been doing it to me i've been being charged for noggin um for i don't i ended it so i don't know how long i've been being charged for it but i had a whole ass subscription to noggin how did you not notice that because I, I just get, like, my Prime charges and stuff from Amazon, but I didn't realize that I've been getting an $8 charge every month from Noggin, Noggin? which comes up as an Amazon charge to my card. So, like, I have a couple different, like, I have my, like, gummies and stuff that come automatically. Right. So you when have I some s- in the closet upstairs, by the way. Sick. Isn't I have Noggin, s- like, a kid's TV? Yeah, it fucking is. <laughs> it has, like, Paw Patrol on it and shit. But I just, like, when I saw a random... And when I kept seeing this random $8 charge, I just thought it was, like, one of my vitamins or something that just comes every month. But it hasn't been. It's been a fucking subscription to Noggin. See, I usually, I'll get, like, a notification whenever I have, like, a charge on Amazon. And if I didn't order something, I immediately go to Amazon. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? What did I order? 
what is this? And randomly, like two weeks ago, I got like a $39 charge from Amazon. So I went to Amazon and I'm like, what is this? What the fuck? And I couldn't find it. I messaged the customer service and say that I want to call back right away. Mm-hmm. Somebody calls me and I'm like, hey, I just got this $39 charge from Amazon, but I can't find any $39 charge that I have made recently. And he's like, oh, hold on. Let me check. And he like does his thing and he checks and he's like, do you remember ordering this bathing suit? And I was like, yeah, months ago. And I actually returned it like two weeks ago. And he was like, oh, hold on. Let me check. Does something. And then he's like, oh, yeah, I see that charge was a mistake. I'm going to go ahead and refund you that. And I'm like, how in the fuck did that get charged to my card again? Especially because I returned it like two weeks ago. I'm like, when they processed it, did they recharge me for it instead of refunding me for it? I was like, what the fuck? Don't trust Amazon. Check your Amazon Go account. Look in your <laughs> Go account look settings. right now. Go look in your account. Go to membership and subscriptions also, and look through those goddamn subscriptions because I was literally being charged eight goddamn dollars a month for a kid's TV subscription. Not even good kid's TV either. No or anything that you probably ever watch. No. Another thing too, Prime no longer means two-day delivery. Like, I've ordered stuff that says it's Prime, and then it's, like, weeks later. No, dude, I'm like, I think what? I'm going to cancel my Amazon, my Prime subscription, honestly. Yeah. It's not worth it anymore. I, I pay $12, and my shit doesn't even get here on time. And also, they change my address. They send shit here. When I click my address in Kirkland, well, they I've send just it fucking been, here. I've gotten in the habit now of double-checking everything that I find on Amazon, checking to see if it's cheaper elsewhere, because yeah. lately it has not been cheaper on Amazon. No. Mm. Hopefully, Welcome to living in a fascist society. Hopefully, Amazon has no intention of supporting our podcast. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're going to get Amazon's. Guys, next week, breaking news. Amazon is actually sponsoring us. After we shit talk them for 20 minutes today. <laughs> That's how bad they want, they want this partnership. Uh, okay. Let's get to our podcast. Oh, by the way. All of the vegetables are planted and fruits. Garden planted. Done. Check. Good. You'll need it because the, the world is going to end. <laughs> yeah. So I Canada's increased... taking U.S. I know. refugees. I know. So I increased my corn, potatoes, yeah. peas, and green beans for this year mm-hmm. so that I could can some at the end of the season to last a little longer into the Canning year. Canning scares me. Canning scares the shit out of me. But I did Canning bu- is so scary. I, I even bought a pressure canner. I was on canning TikTok for a while. Oh, God. I don't want to hear I about anything scary exploding. stuff. There's no, this, like, no. meat and stuff, too, being yeah. canned. I know. Is... You can can meat. What it's scary. the actual fuck is that? I know. I'm sorry. No, it's good. No, it's not. It. Do you know how expensive meat is right I, now? I don't eat meat, so no, I don't know how expensive meat is. Well, that's is. why you're malnutrition. <laughs> Eat hey, fucking protein. <laughs> I try to get my protein in in other ways. I swear I drink oh, like protein shakes. I have that protein, the powder that I mix into stuff. I'm, I got like the the Trader Joe's white shell mac and cheese. Yeah. Pretty good. Okay. I don't really like white mac and cheese. It grosses me out a little bit. But I prefer white, white cheese che- over yellow cheese. Really? But I don't like white mac and cheese my brain doesn't like white cheese except for like colby jack and like pepper jack my brain's see i like all of them except for those i like the sharp white cheddar is my favorite the sharp white cheddar is the one i don't like i can't handle it right there it it tastes wrong i can eat that by the slice i can grade that on shit the only thing i can't do it looks fake it doesn't look real white cheese you know cheese isn't yellow right you know they they color that. Okay, my brain is comfortable with that. <laughs> it's like the it's like the the nice white eggs from the store versus like the neighbor's eggs that she brings me over, and I'm like, I'm afraid there's a dead chicken um, in here. I'm gonna need you to take them back. I got a straight up round egg from the grocery store. Oh, cool. Like it was. Did you shine a flashlight on it to make sure there wasn't a baby in there? No, nah, I cracked it open. It, there was no baby in okay, it. Okay, good. Fuck. I'm so. I really want to like get chickens and do my own egg thing, but I just can't fucking do it. I'm too fucking scared of like cracking a baby chicken into my pan i feel like if i just do it fast you'll get less mad at me i don't know about that <laughs> madison's eating chocolate pop tarts which look really fucking good but i'm also really annoyed about it you want some pop tarts i kind of do here you go <laughs> okay 
My house has the best food. <laughs> Mine does not. If Mine I had chocolate Pop-Tarts in my house, I would for sure eat them every day. I got blueberry and chocolate. Uh, I don't like blueberry, but... I like blueberry warmed up. I don't like it cold. Ooh, maybe I should try that yeah, because my yeah. roommate bought them and doesn't eat them. Anyway, so. I try not to eat Pop-Tarts. Okay. Why? Now, life does not have that many <laughs> enjoyable things. You Stop should talking just with eat food a in your mouth. I do every once in a while, but I don't need to eat them every day. That would I don't be eat them every not day. good for me. No, but I would if I, it's like if I had chips in my cupboard, I would eat them every day. I have no self-control. Well, when it's something that's normally in your house, it's not a treat for you. It's not like. Yeah, but you have to eat it every day for like a month before it doesn't feel like a treat anymore. No, all you have to do <laughs> is eat a whole box of them At in one a few time. days and then you will use space like your whole, It's like the whole, like your parent catches you with a cigarette and they make you smoke the whole pack so that you get so sick that you never want to do it again, which is what a lot of people did in like the 80s. <laughs> I heard, I don't know if this is from a movie or what, but I saw or heard someone's mom made them eat a pack of cigarettes. I think that was a movie. <laughs> I feel like it was a movie. As, I feel like I've seen this with my own eyes. But I definitely had a friend who got caught with cigarettes one time and her dad made her smoke like half the pack and she was like throwing up, got super sick and never touched them again. So uh, yeah, that, um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that would be like child abuse now. I don't know. Um, Some of Amy's family go to the Geraldo Rivera, Rivera, <laughs> Geraldo Rivera show. Gerardo. Geraldo Gerald- 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 Yeah. Geraldo. Yeah. So some of Amy's family go to the Gerald. And the, it's the detective and some of Amy's family. Ger- Gerald. Geraldo. Geraldo. Yeah. I can't read it actually. Um so some of so on February third, um in nineteen on February third, nineteen ninety eight, the king, the king. King, 